Darwin, come on up, my man. Darwin is fresh out of the water. He just got baptized last night, less than 12 hours ago, man. This is for you. I know Aaron and Brennan studied with you. And I want to say something special about Darwin, because you're from Nicaragua, right? Yeah. And it's cool because four months ago, you were still there, right? This is your first time in the States. Yes. Right? And so four months ago or three months ago, we had met him for the first time. This is the first time in the States. And I just think it's cool to know that God can still work and, and change lives from different countries. And it's just a cool testimony to see where you were hundreds, thousands of miles away that God had brought you here. And now here you are. And so I'm proud of you, man. I'm glad that you're here. And I'm glad that people are here. It was, a cool, it was a cool moment last night because, you know, after Darwin got baptized, he was, he was expressing his gratitude, saying, you know, when I came to SIUE and I was trying to get involved in the culture and just to kind of know things, it was a different change. But two random guys, Aaron and Brendan, kind of walked up to him. Um, and he had said that he thought it was an interview at first. Um, but what they were really just trying to do was to, to be a friend and, and to maybe give him an opportunity to see something different in life. And he is here now, a member of our church, uh, because of that. And I'm, I'm forever grateful that God has sent men and women um, into, you know, the world to do things like that. And that's just the kind of church we are. I'm, uh, if you're visiting with us today, I want to welcome you guys in. Uh, my name's Jake, and uh, I'm so excited that you guys are here. Um, if you guys would like to, in your bulletins, we actually have a couple of announcements, or a announcement at least, to, to kind of get out before I start talking. Um, it's this fall spectacular. I want you guys to all pull us out. Um, wave it for me real fast so I know you all got one. Um, these are uh, your invitations to an awesome event that we have coming up, but I want to be able to, to give you guys something like this. And then I always say this every time I do an event, um, take this information down and give this to somebody else. Um, this fall spectacular event is something that we do here at the Crossings Church and it's something that we've done every year we've been here in the fall just to draw families in, to draw the community in for us to serve the community for the community to know that we're here for them. Um, and so we do this awesome event where it's kind of like a, a treats from the trunk, but we mix it with, um, we'll have live music. We'll have some really big sets that are built for the kids to walk into. So it's not like they're just walking around getting candy, but uh, our members here at the church, we, we dress up in costumes and, and we build these giant sets. Actually today, a lot of the members are sticking around to work on some sets after church. And we, we, you know, we do some construction. We build these giant sets. And so the kids can walk into like a, like a world almost, more so than just a parking lot. And they can kind of experience something really cool as they walk from set to set and see characters, but they see sets as well. Um, and then they'll be able to, we'll have food, we'll have music, we'll have drinks. Um, it's just a great time. And so I encourage you guys to invite people that you know, any families, any kids. Um, it's just a great opportunity to get them to see who we are, um, to get them, you know, uh, around our building uh, to know that this is a place that they can always come. And so I, I hope that you guys will be able to take that invitation with you um, and hand it off to somebody else. So I'm jumping into a sermon today that we have been in this sermon series for the whole year. And it's crazy because I was talking about this in, in the teacher service this morning. I felt like we had just started this sermon series. Like it still feels so fresh um, because we've actually been in this sermon series all year. Like we started this back in January, and time has just flown that here we are in October, almost done with the, uh, with the year, and um, we're still kind of walking through this stuff. And it's just, it's so cool to see how much content you can get out of such a small section of the Bible. 
And for you guys that have been around for this whole year, you probably are feeling like, yeah, man, like we've just been walking through the book of Acts all year. And we're only to Acts 17. Um, and it's been, you know, it's, we've, we went 10 months now or, or nine months and we're still only halfway there with some of the stuff. So we're going to cram a lot of stuff in towards the end of the year to get this kind of, to try to get this theme, you know, finished. But man, there's been so much content and so much depth because what we believe and why we picked this to be continued uh, uh, outline for this year was essentially for us to remember and realize that the Bible is not a story. That the Bible is not just something that we read and it's kind of cool to learn from and then move on with life, but the Bible is intended to be um, a continuation into our lives. It's meant to be history that we can learn, that we can absorb, and that we can apply because one day we are going to die and we will be the history that the book of Acts was talking about. The churches that were established in Acts, they are now passed down to our generation and we have a responsibility to build and grow just like they did. And in the next few centuries, people will look at what we had done with the Christian faith in our churches, and they're going to learn and grow from that just as much as they have from the scriptures. And so it's, been, it's, a, it's meant to be a generational cycle that we can learn and we can apply so that the next generation can learn and apply, not just from them, but from us as well. And so we believe that our lives are meant to be a dedication to the stories like Acts and what Jesus has done through scripture so that we can learn and grow from those churches so that we can build those same kind of churches today. And so today, actually, what we're going to be talking about is a couple different churches in Acts 17 um, that Paul actually visited and ministered to. And these cities can kind of be summed up like this. So there's three cities that they kind of hit on, and this isn't in your notes, but one of them is Thessalonica. And if you sum up some of these cities just in a nutshell of what we're talking about, Thessalonica was a city um, that essentially resisted the word that whenever Paul would visit, most people in Thessalonica tended to resist the word of God. There was also a town, a city called Berea, and those were the ones who chose to receive the word. You maybe have heard scriptures like that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they received the word with great eagerness. And that was a town that tended to receive the word more prominently than most. And then there was a city called Athens. And, you know, we've probably heard the city Athens, even if we don't know the Bible. Um, but those were people who tended to ridicule the word and kind of attack the word in some ways. And we talk about those cities because today what we're going to be going through is we're going to be looking through the book of Acts and looking at how God has presented himself to different cities um, with the understanding that where this may be the general idea of how the city uh, re responded to God we can learn from those same cities and maybe how we respond to God. Because the theme of our lesson today is, is that we need to learn how to find a God that wants to be found. And I, I'm, I'm incredibly encouraged if you're visiting with us today or, or you know, maybe you've been checking our church out or you've been just checking faith out in general because I want you to know that, that the God, the Christian God, the Christian faith, he wants to be found by everyone. He wants to put himself in a position to be such a light to the world that everyone has an opportunity to find him and to seek him because he's got great plans for each and every one of our lives. And so what we're going to be talking about today is how do we find this God that wants to be found? You know, I was, I've always made a joke that God is like the worst hide and seeker, right? If you've ever played hide and seek as a kid and you had like those really good hiding spots, God would be that kid that would be like, all right, count to 10. And he'd be like, okay, 
All right, and then they open their eyes and they're like, oh, you found me. <laughs> like, you're like right in front of me. How are you supposed to hide behind that? Like, that's God when it comes to looking for him. He's like, I'm not going to hide from you. I actually want to put myself in a position that I can always be found by you in every circumstance and every stage of your life. And so we're just going to jump in today and look through Acts 17 a little bit about how God was revealing himself to people and how we can respond to that. Um, and if you'd like to follow along, we have a set of notes in uh, that little booklet that you guys kind of were handed today. And you guys can follow along with the verses and the notes. We'll be kind of thrown up on the screen. But no matter where you're at today, you know, if you are somebody that is seeking God and, and, and you haven't necessarily encountered God and, and you're trying to find God, like this, this lesson is going to be great for you. But maybe if you're somebody that looks at your life and says, you know, I do know who God is. I feel like I've been looking for God and I feel like I have a relationship with him. Well, there's still a model and a picture of what that kind of person is meant to act and look and, and live like. And we're going to address those things as well, because just because you found God does not necessarily mean that you're living for God. And I think it's important for us to, to distinguish that there is a huge difference between finding God and living for God. And so this could be a great reminder for some of us. This could be a great challenge for some of us. But this could also be some just great information for us for the first time as we walk through this. And so the first thing that we're going to look at today is if I'm to find the God who wants to be found, it will, number one, it will involve people. It will always involve people. In Acts 17, we start off right off the bat, and it says, Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. You see, it, it was natural for, for, for Jewish men at that time to go into synagogues because that's where they were able to learn about God. That's where they were able to get education about what God was willing to do in their lives. That's where, they, that's where they were able to read Scripture, to learn Scripture. But it wasn't something that was divinely done. And I think that's a huge, important note to know about when it comes to finding God. It is not this divine thing that's going to happen. I think sometimes we believe that if we want to find God, that we believe at one point in our lives we're going to say some crazy prayer and then this voice of like Morgan Freeman is going to come into our head, right? And be like, I am here, son. You know, and like I, am, I, was, I have always been and I will always be here and I will always love you. And you're like, finally, I've divinely found God. You know, and that's not how it works. As much as we wish that it did, that's not how God works through his people. That's not how he tends to be found. And Paul knew that. Paul knew if he wanted to get closer to God and, and connect with God, he was going to need to find people that were going to help point him in the right direction. And that's the kind of God of the Bible that says, if you want to find me, it will always involve people. You know, your next little point here is that every person who became a Christian in the New Testament was involved and involved a person who became a Christian in the New Testament. Every time you see a conversion in the New Testament where somebody decides to find God and have a relationship with God, there's somebody else there. Or there's somebody else that has found the faith before them is pointing them in the right direction that's showing them who God is and what God is. And that's an important note to know because I do believe that the culture we live in today, that the world that we live in kind of gives us the opposite of that. It says, you know, you can find God on your own. You can find God divinely by yourself and it's just not true and if you walk through scripture you find time and time again that God literally sends people to people 
so that they can... That's literally the Old Testament as well. He literally sends prophets to these towns so that these prophets can say, listen, God has sent me to you to help you understand that you are not living for God, that you are not living the right way, and it's time for you to wake up, and God has sent me um, to, to, to get you to see God for who he really is. You know, I, 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 you maybe have heard this joke before, but I've always heard this joke about, there, you know, a guy drowning at sea, right? And uh, he, he prays to God to save him. He goes, you know, I, I know God will find me. I know God will rescue me. And, you know, a boat comes by and they're like, hey, man, you need any help? And he's like, no, no, God's, God's going to save me. I've prayed to him. I, I trust him. And the boat's like, all right. And he zips off and, you know, another boat comes by, says the same thing. He's like, no, 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 God's going to save me. You know, it happens two or three more times, right? And the guy just finally gets fatigued and dies. He drowns. He goes to heaven. He talks to God. And he says, God, what happened, man? I thought you were going to save me. I thought you were going to be here. And he goes, well, I sent you three speedboats. What else could I do? You know? He says, I, I, I sent you the help that you needed. What else am I supposed to do? And I think that's the truth sometimes when it comes to our lives, when we think about, man, my life is in a terrible spot. My life is hurting. My life, I need help. And God, here he is, sends people into our lives. But what do we do? More times than not, we tend to not invite those people in to get that speedboat help. We don't get those lifesavers. But we say, you know what? I'm, God's going to help me with this. I've been praying about it. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to deal with this one-on-one. I'm going to work, I'm going to work on this. And I know God's going to pull me out of this. And there are churches out there that, that don't practice relationships. They don't practice that there's a depth that goes along with that. And they say, you know what? You can just have God. And you don't need anybody else to find him. And I would beg to look through scripture and say, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily accurate. I don't know if God would just say, hey, you know, just trust me and forget everybody else because I'm going to save you one day. I don't think that's the God that we follow. In Romans 10, 19, it says, so faith comes from hearing the good news. It doesn't say faith comes from God divinely speaking into our lives like Morgan Freeman. You know, it says it comes from hearing the good news. But how do we hear it? And people hear the good news when someone tells them about Christ. Each and every one of you guys in this room who calls yourselves a disciple, somebody talked to you. Somebody came into your life. Somebody spoke the word of God to you. Somebody baptized you. And somebody is now walking alongside of you in life to help make sure that you are on the right path. It's always meant to be, the design has always meant to be relational. Even in 2 Corinthians 4, we get the same image here in the next verse. 2 Corinthians 4, 15 through 18, it says, He died for us so that we will not for ourselves, but for him who died and rose. All of this is a gift from our creator God who has pursued us and brought us into a restored and healthy relationship with him. Relationship's a key word there. And he has given us the same mission, the ministry of reconciliation to bring others to him. You see, relationship and others are key words in that context, because it shows how impactful it is to have God in your life. It's going to require relationship, and it's going to require us fulfilling that within others. 
And that's kind of where I want to start today, because what I actually want to do today was I wanted to start by taking communion today. Because as we read a verse like this and we realize that Jesus literally died for us because it was the ultimate form of relationship. It was the ultimate form of love. It was the ultimate form of sacrifice for us to understand that that's, that's the cost of what it takes to truly love somebody, to lay down one's life for someone. But what's so cool about this is that it not just shows and illustrates that that's what Jesus was willing to do, but that was the mission that he had imparted into our hearts and lives when we chose to receive that. That we were now meant to be the model of a disciple to give that love to somebody else. To, to, to bring others to him, to bring others to show them that ultimate sacrifice. And so as we take communion today, what I, what I hope that you guys will do is look at that sacrifice that Jesus has been willing to lay down his life for you. And ask yourself, have I shown gratitude in a way that has involved people in this walk with God? Or have I been very selfish about my relationship with God that I don't really show gratitude because of how I involve people and how I find people and show them what Jesus has done? Have I made this sacrifice that Jesus has made for me just for me? Or have I shown the gratitude that God wanted me to have when he sent his son to die on the cross to help me realize that this was not meant to just be for me alone, but this was meant for me to share. This was meant for me to show other people. This was meant for me to have community with one another. This was something that was meant to build a family in my life. And that is a part of the blessing, the sacrifice that Jesus gave. So I'm going to say a prayer, and we're going to take communion, and then we're going to, I'm going to come back up and kind of finish out this lesson today. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much uh, for sending your son to die on the cross for me. God, I, you know, I think about how alone I was um, and how I just felt, you know, there was no hope. I felt like I was, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. I didn't have, you know, a family that was deeply connected to me in, in a lot of different ways. And God, I can look at what you did by sending your son and just look at how great that was meant to be for me um, and just keep it for me. But God, I'm so grateful that you sent your son because when you sent your son to die for me, you gave me a hope, you gave me a future, and you did that by giving me a community. You gave me a, you gave me a body of believers that chose to follow your son just like I wanted to. And God, I, I'm always grateful for that, to know that I was able to find you because there were people before me that chose to be grateful for that. And now that it can be passed down to me, and then I can pass it on to others, Lord. So thank you for your son. Thank you for what he did. Thank you for that sacrifice. And God, may I never forget, and may we never forget, that that's never meant to be, just be kept to ourselves, but it's meant to be shared with one another as we share this communion. All in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, so... <clears throat> You know, to find this God who wants to be found, number one, it's definitely going to involve people. But also, it's going to involve reason. It will involve reason. Have you ever tried to reason with somebody and you know you're right, but they will not have it? <laughs> like, have you ever, like, even, even if it's like bickering on like opinion things, like, have you, like, as a Cardinals fan, have you ever tried to reason with a Cubs fan that the Cardinals are just better? Like, and it probably doesn't go well, right? You know, as a, as, a, as a Jordan fan, have you ever tried to reason with LeBron fans that Jordan is just better, right? 
I got a lot of booze in here, right? I guess there's some, there's some young guns in here that don't know, right? Um, I don't know things that I can't even think about. As a, as a, I don't, I'm not even fans of either one of these because I've never seen them, which is, you know, probably going to, you guys are probably going to yell at me after this. As a Star Wars fan, have you ever tried to reason with Star Trek fans that Star Wars is better, right? Well, I've never seen either one of them, so I don't really have an opinion on it, right? But we have these opinions on things that we look at in life, and we, and we think that the things that we do are better, or the things that we like just make more sense. And then after a while, there are some things that are just factual, that whether it's, whether it's opinion-based or factual-based, it doesn't matter because reason just never hits. And it's like they don't want to hear it, whether it's true or not. As a parent, have you ever tried to reason with your kid on something that's completely true, but they still don't believe it, right? And it gets so frustrating to talk blue into your eyes or, or, or you get red in the face or whatever it is, and you just try to reason, and they're just like, I'm not having it. Like, I don't believe it, you know? Um, that's what it takes at times to have a relationship with God. That's what it takes to find this God that sometimes you will have to sit and reason with everything else out there to figure out if this is just an opinion-based faith or if this is factual. And that's the, that's the walk that we live in in culture. We have to, we have to walk that walk and, 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 and walk that line to figure out what kind of reason do we live by to live with a God who wants to be found. And in the first century, Paul went through many different towns with many different religions and explained and reasoned with people why this God is the God. And there are no other gods. And that's a very, very, you know, slippery slope. You know, in, in America, we, we have something called freedom of speech, which has been challenged lately a lot with religious freedoms. But in a lot of different countries, we wouldn't have it as easy as we have it today. If we were to do what we are doing right now in some different countries in this world, I would probably be executed, you know, because we have a freedom here to talk about religion freely. But many countries do not have that freedom. Many countries are, are bound by those freedoms. And so when Paul would say certain things to certain people, um, you don't know what kind of consequence there may come with that, with those cultures and those towns and those cities. But yet Paul understood this was something that he needed to do. And we see that right off the bat in Acts 17, verses 2 and 3. It says, on three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. There's three words I want you to kind of underline there, circle. The first one's reasoned. The second one's explained, and the third one is the proof, because Paul did all three. He was able to reason with people, and then he was able to explain, and then he was able to prove. And I think sometimes in our Christian faith, we, we, don't, get, we don't grasp the, the maturity or the process of these three in our lives, and we either jump to one or we, or we neglect one, and it leaves us in a position that really doesn't solidify our faith when we, when we want to give it and share it with somebody else. You see, the reasons with somebody is essentially just dialoguing. And I think we're all pretty good about that. 
You know, even if you're thinking about like a team, like I'm obviously a Cardinals fan. And so when I reason with people, I'm like, no, no, I mean, I like the Cardinals. I think that the Cardinals are great, you know, whatever it is. And that's like talking about our faith and being like, you know, I think that I love being a Christian. I love doing this. I love, I love doing things like that. Well, that's just dialogue. That's just talk. You know, there's nothing that really comes from that. It's just opening the door, right, to a conversation. Um, to take it a step further would be to explain it. And when you explain something, because you have a reason behind it, it can open a mind. It can open somebody's mind. Well, you know, I love the Cardinals because there's a consistency that I've seen in, in the past. And, you know, I think that they have a really good, you know, farm system and they do, you know, things like that. And, and you can start to explain things that maybe somebody who's not a fan can look at that and say, well, okay, that, I guess that kind of does make sense a little bit, Right? That would be us looking at our faith and saying, well, you know, I think I've seen God work in my life in this way. And I think since I've tried this, it's, just, it's, been, it's been more beneficial than, than harmful like I was when I was trying things myself, right? And that can open a mind of somebody to say, you know what, maybe there is something there. But I'm not convinced. You haven't sold me yet. Well, that's where proof comes in. And that's where it takes some homework and it takes some time. You know, for the Cardinals, I can sit here and lay out and say, well, they've won so many championships and they have these kind of statistics and they've done these A, B, and C. It proves that they are one of the best baseball teams that has ever lived. And I can show them with truth why it is one of the better baseball teams that has ever existed. No opinion needed. The facts lay themselves out. And in a Christian faith, I believe this is where many young disciples are absent because we don't have enough knowledge of Scripture to prove Scripture is truth outside of our feelings when we reason and explain why we love what we love or why we, uh, why we are what we are as disciples. Do we really have enough knowledge and enough depth to prove that the Christian faith is the faith when it comes to the history behind it? And what happens, I believe, more times than not, is when Christians get to the stage and they want, they want to stick up their guns and they want to believe that the Christian faith is the faith, but they don't have the intellect and the knowledge to prove it, that's when things can start to get a little dicey. That's like whenever you look at like a, I don't know, a, a very terrible baseball team, right? But they grew up in that area. Somebody throw out a terrible baseball team. The Cubs. Let's talk about the Cubs. <laughs> I don't know. Um, now... You know, um, I don't know, the Marlins, for example, okay? Let's talk about the Marlins for a minute, okay? So the Marlins have maybe won, you know, a, a little bit, but overall, it's been a pretty terrible team their whole time. But for people who grew up in that area, that's what they stand by, that's what they represent, but they don't have the proof to, to get them to the job to say it's one of the best teams. But they will stand by it because they've lived with it for a while, and they've been in that world for so long, and that's all that they know but they've never looked at the history behind all the other great teams in the world. And so they'll sit there and say, you know, my mom was a Marlins fan and my dad was a Marlins fan and my grandpa was like that. We've been to games and I love the environment there. And maybe they just don't have enough proof, but they stick to their guns because that's, that's all that they know. I think sometimes Christians can act the same way because a lot of you guys, to be honest, you don't, you don't know other religions. You've never experienced other religions. You've never been in those worlds. You've never been in those countries and all we know is Christianity because it's been the only thing that the world in America has thrown in our face. 
And so sometimes it's easy for us to have a pride about it and to know enough about it because, oh, my mom went to church and my grandpa went to church and I've been in churches in America and, I, and, I, and this, is, this is all that I know and we're in this little bubble. But when it comes time for you to sit down with somebody else that's from a different country that has a different religion and says, this is the same thing that I've done, let's prove it. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? What's your proof? Where's the history? Where's the context? I struggle with this still. I'm not, I'm not a very educated man. I went to, I went to college to be a PE teacher because I did not want to read. <laughs> like, I wanted to go do something that was going to make me not have to do a lot of studying, but I, it's just something that I like to do. And Christianity is not one of those things. I learned that the hard way very quickly. That you can have a faith and you can know a, a, a little bit about Scripture to live it out. But for it to imprint in your heart and for it to be something that lasts for the rest of your life, you got to do some homework. If you want to combat it with other faiths on this world, you're going to have to do your homework. And I think that's one of the coolest things about the church that we have here is that the first side of this, I think we do a great job here at the Crossings Church. I think that, you know, we call ourselves a restoration church because there's not a lot of generations in our church. As you guys can tell, if you're visiting with us, there's a lot of young people in this church because we go out to schools and college campuses and we go find students that don't have deep roots. Their moms and dads weren't Christians and their grandmas and grandpas weren't Christians and they've just been lost in the world for so long and we bring them in. And so there's always a fire to defend what has been new to them and what's been shown to them, and this is what they want to live by and stand by. But there hasn't been that generation of growing up learning Bible stories, growing up hearing the songs in children's ministries, growing up having moms and dads sit and read Scripture with them to give them that proof. We don't have that as much yet. And so where we have an incredible strength within our church to go and seek and save the lost because of what's been given to us to pay it forward, that's a crazy, incredible strength that we have within our church. And that lies a great weakness that we have a lot of youth that's very naive to the proofs of what Christianity is and the history that it, that it possesses. And so what I'm trying to challenge us today as a church as a whole is it is going to take some time to prove what we are and what we stand by as a church if we're going to want to find this God that wants to be found. In Acts 26, 25, Paul says here later, he says, Paul replied, no, your excellency, Festus, I am not crazy. I speak the words of truth and reason. You see, if we are going to talk about something reasonable, whether it's if you're seeking investigating faith in general, um, that, you know, there is another, you know, theology of atheism that believes that there is nothing, right? And so just to start this conversation today, this idea about reason, you really only have two thoughts to go through. You really only have two decisions to make in your life when it comes to creation, right? On one hand, you have a box that has nothing in it, and then all of a sudden, Something shows up in the box. That something came from nothing. Well, that's atheism. That this all just showed up. Creation, we're, we're all here from nothing. It just showed up. Doesn't seem very reasonable, right? 
But then you have this other side, which is your only other, the only other thing that could have happened was there was a box, nothing in it, and at some point in time, somebody put something in the box. That's your other choice. But here's the, you know, the reality is, is you only have two choices. And to be honest, they both kind of sound crazy because we're going to get to that unreasonable side on this one in a minute because the next question is like, well, well where'd that guy come from? You know, like that's the next question with the two boxes. Where did this guy come from? And we'll talk about that next. But whenever we talk about these two boxes in general, which one makes more sense? Which one is more reasonable to think that something came from nothing or that something had always existed and puts nothing together. It's one of those choices and you have to make a decision. Or you can be passive your whole life and just be in the middle and say, I just don't know. And you're gonna live your life just not knowing. Or you can start to do some homework. Or you can start to investigate religion. If you believe that the earth came from something, if you believe that we didn't just magically pop up and something higher created what we have on this earth today, I want to tell you that that is a great place to start when it comes to looking at what a relationship with God is. And that could, that could spark for so many people, that's where their faith starts, is for them just to have this realization that it is reasonable, it is more reasonable for me to believe that this did not all just magically appear. So something had to create this. And that's a great place to start with your religion. And then my next thought would be, okay, well now it's time to start laying out religions and start talking through them. And this next piece is, is an important part with that, whether you are investigating that or whether you are a Christian, because in 1 Peter 3.15 it says, but make sure in your hearts that Christ is Lord. Because now I'm talking to you disciples for a minute. Because it says, make sure in your hearts that Christ is Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope you have. Be ready to give the reason for it. But here's the part that a lot of churches fall short. But do it gently and with respect. You see, nobody is going to want to follow the Christian faith if we're sitting on the sides of roads yelling at people that God hates fags. Nobody's going to want to be a Christian if they say that God hates abortion and throws it right in their face whenever they just got done having an abortion. Nobody's going to want to follow God whenever they're in their lowest spots and get, somebody gets in their face and says, you know what, I follow God and you suck because you're not doing this. And it's so frustrating to watch that that's literally what churches in America choose to do to people in hopes that they will one day want to be on their side. You see, no, nobody wants to follow a hypocrite, even if they are reasonable. Nobody wants to be a fan of something, even if it is truth, even if it is real. Nobody wants to get on that side if they're going to feel like crap in the process of it. And I believe that church in America have done so much damage in the past that we are doing some damage control because of how, how hurtful churches have been to people. Does anybody in this room have church hurt? I do, right? 
People in the church have treated people unreasonable. They've come out, they've come out really hard and harsh. You see, when it, when it comes to reason and it comes to, to finding a faith, I encourage you to go look at all religions. I, I encourage people, to, I, don't, I don't try to hoodwink people and say, you know what, don't, don't go look around the world, like, just look at this one, and maybe, maybe you won't find the real one one day. You know, like, maybe if I can just trick you to know, like, this is it, you know? No, the best way to be a disciple, the best way to follow reason is to, number one, get your facts straight. Know your history. Because if you know enough about the Bible, you can confidently lay it out with any other religion and say, this is why I follow what I follow. You want to talk about any other religion in the world? Let's lay them out together. Let's look at the history. Let's plead our cases. Let's look at the facts. And more times than not, you will find respect. You can do it gently. You can open your eyes to some truth that maybe other religions won't hold up with in the long haul. And I believe if we did that as Christians, we might have a better response in the world. So it's going to involve some reasoning. But let's get back to that whole little box segment, right? And then there's this guy. Because finding God will also involve things that seem unreasonable. Well, what about that guy? Where did he come from? That means something came from nothing. Well, well, he always existed. Well, that doesn't make sense either. So now which crazy do you want to believe, right? Do you want to believe the, the, the crazy atheist thought process that's, well, this is all just magically appeared? Or do you want to believe the crazy Christian process that believes that this guy has always existed? That doesn't make sense either. Which crazy do you want to be today? Because you got to be one, right? Or you can be in the middle and just say, I'm not crazy. And that's even crazier, right? To believe that there's only two outcomes and you're not going to believe either one of them. So it's, there's a crazy process that happens when it comes to knowing faith and knowing what faith is and isn't and where you're going to stand in that. It's going to take some sort of crazy. It just decide, you just got to decide which one you want to be on. And that's kind of what Paul does here. And he, 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 he talks about this. It's going to involve some unreasonable things that come out. And we're going to read a longer passage today when we talk about this. And I'm going to kind of break this down a little bit. But once again, Paul is in, in a situation, and he's here in Athens. So we're going to pick this up again in Acts 17. It says, while Paul was in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So what does he do? He reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. So he went and talked with Christians. But then it says, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happen to be there. So he's speaking to Christians and non-Christians. And it says, a group of Epicurean um, philosophers and Stoic philosophers, and I'm just going to break this down a little bit. So Epicurean followers were essentially people, like their theology was more about pleasure and happiness. Like that was, that was kind of like, the, like their pursuit of faith. Was, it wasn't about the God of the Bible, but they believed that their faith was, was mainly about just pleasing ourselves and, and creating happiness. And that literally once our bodies were dead here on earth, that was it. So it was kind of like the YOLO mentality, right? Like, just live your best life because you, you only have this little amount of time, and then once you're dead, you're dead, and there's nothing else. So do everything you can to have happiness and have pleasure and enjoy your life while you're here on earth. Those were some people that Paul was talking to here. And then it talks about some Stoic philosophers, too. And the Stoic philosophers, their, their kind of thought process and life's goal was that it was more about harmony, 
you know, in nature and its laws and obeying the things of, of, the, of the earth and of, you know, coexisting and things like that, that we can live in harmony um, and, and, and in that sen- sen- uh, sentiment. With, with Stoic philosophers, what they believed is at, at a certain point, whenever life got too hard, um, that it didn't create harmony for the people around them. Like if, if I was an elderly man and, and my life was becoming difficult and it was creating a, a hardship on my family, it was more appropriate for me to just commit suicide than it was to make my family go through that hardship. And so if I wasn't creating harmony with the people around me, it was just time for me to end my life. And that was a part of this religion that they believed as well. And so Paul's sitting here and he's talking with these different types of people and it says that he begins to debate with them. And it says, some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods because they had all these random gods that they were worshiping. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him into a meeting of the Aragopagus, which is kind of like a, a meeting place at the time with, with specific people. And they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we'd like to know what they mean. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Aragopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. We're going to plant here for a second, right? Because Paul has been walking around Athens and and he's been seeing all these different idols that these people are worshiping. And he sees one and he looks at it and it says to an unknown God. And he's like, hmm. And he looks at all these other ones and he comes and he says, listen, it seems like you guys are pretty religious. And the history behind this unknown God, um, I, I did a little research on this. Because uh, I got to learn to do homework because I'm not a PE teacher anymore. Um, but this unknown God, so, so 600 years before this in Athens, there was this crazy plague. And there was a priestess that they went to and they consulted with her and they were like, can you help us figure out why this plague is hitting Athens? Because we don't understand why this plague is here. And what she had concluded was, well, I think this is, the gods are punishing you because your king was meant to give, he promised amnesty to this group of people that he was trying to take over. And then when they surrendered, he actually killed them instead of giving them that amnesty that he had promised. So now the gods are angry. And so the people of Athens started to try to sacrifice to every god they knew to try to get these gods back on their good sides just to get rid of this plague. And the plague never went away. And so they end up finding that there is another god And they say, well, there is a God that I know about. We can bring a man in, and he can kind of tell us what to do. And they bring a man in, and this man says, listen, this is what you need to do. You need to get 12 sheep, and you need to sacrifice them or put them on a hill. And then if they do a certain thing, you need to sacrifice them on an altar, right? And so this guy says a prayer to this God, and a couple sheep are sacrificed. And according to Greek philosophers, the very next day, the plague had started to decease. And it could have been that it was just time for the plague to, to drown out. It could have been that whatever God that was um, chose to forgive them. But what they decided to do was they chose to make an altar and it said to an unknown God. And 600 years later, where we're at right now in this story, these people of Athens still worship this unknown God, 
because 600 years ago, he had cured them from some plague that had hit their, that had hit their city. But they don't have a name for this God. Interesting. So what Paul says here, knowing that story, he says, so you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. You don't, you don't know what you're worshiping. You're worshiping an unknown God. You're ignorant of this. But this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples but built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Now, you guys here, members of our church, might remember this part. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. You see, Paul says, God set all this up. 600 years ago, this thing happened. And what he's pointing to is that God has set this time that I can be right here in front of you guys talking to you, people of Athens, about this unknown God. It's time for you to know who this God is. And it's incredible to think that that was something that happened that God had set up years and years in advance, and how unreasonable it may seem to think that that's the reality of what just happened in these people's hearts and lives, but God had revealed himself. And, and as reasonable as it may have been, it created a movement, and it created power within their lives. And what I want you guys to understand today is that it is unreasonable to be a Christian. Like I said, it, it is, there is some crazy in it. There are some things that just don't make sense, just like everything else on this earth. It may seem unreasonable to have my deities disparaged as we walk through this bullet point of these different things. It may be unreasonable to have all these different false gods or all these deities, all these things that we have chosen to follow for our whole life be changed, to be, to be, to be disparaged and to be put to the side and say, these are not superior, this is the superiority. That can be unreasonable. It seems unreasonable to believe and a resurrected corpse. That's just unreasonable. Have, have any of us had a family member, a friend, or a loved one who has died come back? It's not, it's not reasonable. It seems unreasonable to believe that I could be religious, but be wrong. Paul came and talked to him and says, like, it seems like you guys are religious people. He walked through the different aisles. He walked through different gods. He, he realized that they were religious people. They had prayed. But that seems unreasonable to think that everything that we've known our whole lives about gods or God or whoever God it is that you believe or the faith that you grew up in, even if it is the Christian God, maybe you haven't really known him. That maybe everything you've always known about religion, maybe everything that you know about God could be wrong. Because what is your source? Was it your parents? Was that the faith? 
Was it one of those churches that we talked about earlier that just shoved things into people's face? Was it, was it their theology? Was it their doctrine? Was, maybe you were just taught something about God that is just completely wrong because it didn't come from his word. It came from other people's mouths. That sounds unreasonable. It seems unreasonable to believe that God brought me here today. This is the crazy part of this verse, right? Because if, if you're a member of our church, you know as we study the Bible with people, we talk about Acts 17. And we, always, we, do, this, we do this study called Seeking God, and we talk about how, you know, it's, it's, it's an awesome opportunity to seek God out and how he reveals himself, kind of like what we're talking about today. And we always end that study with this verse from one man he made all nations, that he should know where they would live, and he appointed the times for them so that they may seek him out, right? And I always say that at the end of the study, I say, you know, it's so encouraging to know that we could have not planned this out. Like, think about this room even today. Like, think about where you were born. How many people in this room were not born in Collinsville? <laughs> That's crazy, right? And so, you, you know, you guys weren't even born in this city, right? And think about your background. Some of you guys weren't even born in this country. They're good old Darwin, right? Nicaragua. You weren't even, you're not even from here. You're not even from here, bro. You know? And so, like, think about, we, we come from so many different places all over the world. A lot of us weren't even born at the same time, right? Anyone? Any? Uh, I always make old people comments, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave them, pick on the baby. Some of those kids were just born a couple weeks ago. You know, like, I'll pick on the babies today, right? Your backgrounds, your parents, most of your parents don't know the other parents in this room. This, this meeting today could have not been orchestrated by us. The people that are here today for you guys that just randomly showed up and it's your first time walking into this building, nobody could have planned that and set that up. It is unreasonable to think that somebody built this room the way that it is set right now with the people that you are sitting on the left and on the right. And I'm telling you right now that what we are seeing today will never look the same again. We can never naturally create the same meeting with the same people and looking around in the same group and not one person be gone, not one person. This could never happen and it's unreasonable to think that this was set up. But God says that he did set this up. God says that there is a reason why you decided to be in Collinsville today. There is a reason why you are sitting next to the person that you're sitting next to today. There is a reason why you are in the Crossings Church today. And what does it say in that? Because he's not just a cool guy that's like, hey, I can predict the future. Hey, I set things up. Just know that I'm pretty cool like that. That's cool enough, right? But God doesn't leave it at that. God tells us, hey, you want to know why I do that? You want to know why I set things up? Well, it says in verse 27, it says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him because he's not far from any of us. God said, I planned this. Nobody else could. It's unreasonable to think that this could even happen, but I planned this. You want to know why? 
because I wanted you to have an opportunity to see me. Because I wanted you to have an opportunity to find me. And it's unreasonable to think that that's what God did for you today. And so if you get anything from any of my message today, I want you to know that God planned for you to be here specifically, knowing everything about your background, knowing everything about where you're from, knowing everything about who you are and how you're connected and how you've been found a link to get into this building. Just know that it all happened because God decided he wanted it to happen because he wanted you to know it's time for you to see me. Today's the day. And because of that, it seems unreasonable to believe that ignorance now is no excuse. That we have no excuse now. And we can't say, oh, I didn't know. I don't, this, this unknown God, I don't know who it is. But Paul's saying, now you know. You can't use that excuse anymore because now it's time to follow. Now it's time to invest. Now it's time to investigate. And that's what's going to lead us to our last point today is that if you really want to find this God, it's going to involve your response. It will involve your response today. Not everyone responded greatly, right? Because he went after some different faiths here. He went after some different, different religions at this time. And it's going to involve your response. We finished that little point out, and it sounds super encouraging that God planned all this stuff out, right? And he tells these people, and he's like, and this is that God, and now their ignorance is no excuse because this is who it is. And here's their response. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. How encouraging of a moment that we just have, right, just in this room. I think that's kind of like how Paul was maybe talking to these people, and he had this awesome moment. And then for someone to go, you know, like, and just kind of like leave it. That's what happened. Some of them just sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again. Come back next week. You know, I kind of, I want to know a little bit more about this. After Paul left the council, some of the people, though, became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Agapagus, and also a woman named Demarius, a member and a number of others. You see, you have, you have three responses that you could have today. One is you can choose to reject. You can choose to reject this. You can choose to reject that God literally put you here in this room today to find him. And you could go, whatever, I don't want that today. I'm not about that. And you could reject who this God is and what he wants to do for your life. You can leave today and never come back. You could look at your life and say, I don't want to put him in there. You could say, I have my own plans, I have my own dreams, I have my own goals, my own ambitions, so God's not going to be in the picture. And you can reject it because a lot of people did and a lot of people are. And if that's where you're at today, I'll just encourage you to look at your life and say, if this is what you want for the rest of your life, keep doing what you're doing. But if you're like me, the way that I was raised and the way that I grew up, I wanted hope, I wanted purpose, I wanted something different for my life. And so when somebody finally gave me the opportunity to see God, I didn't want to reject it. Because I know what rejecting God had done for my life at that point, and I was tired of that. So if you want to reject it, go ahead and go, go, go on with it and sneer like these guys did. You can also choose to procrastinate. Because they said, you know, we want to hear you again. We want you to come back. 
And this, this can be good for a little time, right? If you're investigating, you don't know a lot about Christianity or the faith, like this is, this is a good place to be to maybe look and, and want to know more. But at some point, you gotta make a decision. At some point, you gotta look at your life and say, there's not much else I need to hear. There's not much else I need to know. You know, I, I study the Bible a lot of times with people and, and um, we'll get into like some kind of like deep conversation about life change, right? And it's like, all right, these are the traits of a disciple. Like you really, you have to like obey God's word. And they'll be like, okay, yeah, all right. I, I got a question though. Um, like, what do you think about like dinosaurs? You know, like were they real? Were they not real? What does the Bible say about that? And in my head, I'm like, why are you asking that question right now? You know, like we're in the middle of some life changing stuff and you got to know the question. You got to know the answer to this question in the midst of what we're talking about. And what tends to happen, I think, sometimes is sometimes people are looking for a reason to not jump in 100 percent. They want to know all the little details about the religion or about the faith of God before they finally decide, OK, I'm in. But the reality is. In your relationship with God, there's not a lot you need to know to start your relationship with God. Here at the Crossing Church, we have a handful of studies that we walk through with people. And we're like, this is the basics of the Bible. It doesn't take a lot of time to get to know the basics of the Bible. And then you, you, you kind of need to make a decision if you want to jump into this or not. But sometimes people will wait months and years and decades and, and know who God is, but they keep putting it off. And it's frustrating because there are even members in the church, even here at the crossings, that you have surrendered your life to Christ, but your life looks nothing like it. That you, you have committed your life to Christ, but you are procrastinating in the application of life. And it's very frustrating to the rest of us that are trying to be a light to the world. And my challenge here is if you're procrastinating you're, you're no different than these people that are saying, you know, we just need to hear a little bit more. I don't know how many times I've had guys come to me and be like, what, what else do I need to hear? What else, what, what do you think I need to work on? And I get so frustrated with people because I'm like, listen, there ain't nothing else I can say to you about the Bible that you don't already know. You just got to do it. There ain't nothing different. There ain't nothing new. Like the Bible's not like a, like a social media, you know, app that's going to keep updating. I'm like, oh, did you see this? Did you see this about the Bible? It's a, new, it's a new update. Like, we got something new to look at. Like, and then people are finally like, oh, yes, finally I can follow God. Like, that ain't how the Bible works. It is, and it always has been, and it always will be. And it's never going to change. Like, there's no new updates that are going to happen. There's nothing else that the Word can give you that some of you guys don't already know. It's just time to start doing it. And if we could get on that level and start doing things and stop procrastinating our response would look a lot differently in our lifestyle. And maybe the response of the people that God has surrounded us with may look a little different too. Maybe the people in your life that you're frustrated with that are rejecting and procrastinating are rejecting and procrastinating because you have been rejecting and procrastinating. But then there's a last one because some of the people became followers that I can choose to follow. You see, you can listen today and say, man, God wants to be found by me. And he has revealed himself to me today. And I'm ready to follow. I'm ready to look into this for myself. I'm ready to, I'm ready to hear the reasons. 
I'm ready for it to be explained to me. I'm ready to see the proofs because it's time for me to follow. And that's where I'm going to leave you guys at today because I encourage you guys to pull out this communication card because if that's where you're at today, if you're in a position in your life that you are just ready to find God, he has revealed himself to you today. He has put himself in a position to say, I am right here and I'm waiting on you to respond. And that response may look different for you guys. And that's what this communication is, this card is for today. Because maybe you know who God is, but you've never had people in your life. And you thought that this God thing was, has always and should always be between you and him, but you've never, you've never contemplated the idea that maybe God needs people in your life to help you with the situations that you've struggled with for so long. So maybe you check that you'd like to know about, more about our small groups and to figure out how you can get connected to a community of people that are wanting to help you just the same way that they're trying to help each other. Maybe you do have a lot of different faiths and a lot of different religions that you've researched and you've looked into, and you're like, I don't know so much about this God of the Bible. I don't know a lot about this faith. Well, maybe you check you like, you know, you know, you like a personal Bible study, and you'd like to get to know this God. You'd like to get to know the history behind it and how accurate the scriptures are. You know that the, that the Bible is the most accurate history book that we have on this earth? that when we find artifacts and, and, and other historical items around when we excavate, excavate things, more times than not, scholars look to the Bible for historical accuracy before they look to any other book on this earth. Because there is a historical accuracy and the truths that are given in Scripture, not just times and dates and cities, but promises and blessings from God always happen. And maybe you want to know about that God. So maybe you check you like a personal Bible study. I don't know where you guys are at today, but I know that God wants you to find him. And I know that God has revealed himself today. And I know that God will always reveal himself, but it's always up to us to figure out how we need to respond. And I pray that everyone today can respond in a way that helps you follow God and that you won't procrastinate anymore and you won't reject him anymore, but you'll give him a chance. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for... Uh, your son dying on the cross, um, it just, it's so encouraging to know um, that you were able to send your son to die to give us an opportunity and a chance <clears throat> to just know you and to find you. And God, I pray today that as people fill out those communication cards and as we pass baskets here in a little bit, that they can drop that communication card in there as, as, a, as a representation of them wanting to seek you of them wanting to find you in a way that can change their life and impact their life. God, I, I remember being so lonely as a kid, being so um, helpless, just not knowing you know, who you are um, and not having a, a hope or a future for my life, but to know that when I gave you a chance and, I, and you revealed yourself to me and I, and I sought you, you provided people, you gave me a hope, you gave me a purpose, you gave me a future. Uh, and God, I'm so grateful to have what I have today. I, ha I have a wife that I love so much and that she loves me um, and, and that my kids are not going to have to look at the broken families that I have to look at as, as my upbringing happened. The things that you were able to promise me and bless me, um, a stability of, of, of just friendships and relationships, uh, things that a discipline in, in how I choose to spend my money and how I choose to, to live, God, just things that I could not do on my own that you provided a community but you provided your word and yourself with um, because you brought yourself in front of me and said, here I am. 
And God, you're doing that same thing today with each and every one of us. And it's not, nothing is unattainable with you by our side. So I pray that we'll look for you, we'll seek you, but no, it's not very hard. The hard part is choosing to make a decision to respond. And God, I pray we can do that today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.